it's Sally here. Just a quick one, just a quick one. If you like this really sweary podcast by Kalechi, sorry, Kalechi, do remember to rate and review Say Your Mind on Apple Podcasts, okay? Now for the very urban intro music. <laughs> it's the Ben's Brunani woman, it's baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this. Sit down, sit down, receive this realness. Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are going sip it, yo. Our time's calling for your long shorts. You might learn something you never know. Collect you find, and she's one of a kind. Don't say you mind, say you See, my tracks are dry without you, but I'm trying hard to be cute. And though my heart says suck your mum, I just keep smiling back at you. Ooh! Dickhead, I don't know why you want me to cuss you bad. Yeah, I've got to think of the rest of that. But, oh, Ashanti, long live those sideburns, baby girl. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it is me, Kalechi, in the place to be. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of SYM officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as what, what? That's right, suck your mum. I'm just very content to be here right now. I'm just, I was in two minds about whether to record. I don't know, I've been feeling that sort of way, but I've been feeling that way about numerous things recently. Like I went for my run today um, and even before I went for my run, I don't know, there was this feeling of kind of like trepidation because I knew the distance. Um, and in a grand scheme of things, them men who are banging out marathons, it's not a big deal, f- you know, to them to run six miles or seven miles or whatever. But after having a baby, it's like a big feat to kind of get myself back into the groove of things. So when I know I've got like one of those runs coming, part of me is sort of like, oh gosh, but I got out there was listening to my podcasts, you know, my faves as I was running. And after that, I carried on listening to Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. So I was listening to that as well. Um, audiobooks, they're a thing. I'm I'm really getting into them. They're, it's all right, isn't it? Um, they're actually all right. So I was listening to that and just understanding the, um, the power, I guess, the power of, um, of now. Yeah, as the as the title suggests. Um, yeah, just understanding uh that all we really have in life is like this moment, a series of nows, and it's what you do with this moment that matters the most, not worrying about what happened in the previous moment or what is going to happen in a moment that doesn't isn't yet in existence. You all you have is just constant nows. What are you doing with now? So that's been on my mind, it's been on my heart, just thinking about now, what am I doing? Am I present in the now? And just noticing that I spent a lot of my life actually not being present in the now because I've been wishing for a better tomorrow or a better, you know, future. You know, when that comes, when that thing happens, then I'll be happy. When that thing happens, then, um, you know, then I'll be safe or whatever. And so that what that's meant is that now when I look at things, I actually can't, there are certain parts of my life that it's almost like a blank, blank. I don't, I can't remember really, or 
maybe chosen not to remember. There's just nothing there because I wasn't actually in the moment. I wasn't actually present at those times because I just wanted to get the fuck ASAP. And, you know, thank God for there to be something to get the fuck ASAP too, because, you know, not everyone is getting that next moment, that next breath. So yeah, man, just very grateful to be here and to be present at this time. And whenever you are listening to this, whenever your now is, I'm just grateful that you are here in this now. So take a moment to just um, acknowledge yourself, the what you feel inside your body, where you are right now, how it feels inside you, how it feels to just be you, not, you know, as I'm learning the false you, but the, the true you that doesn't know time as we know it, just it's just there existing and is always going to exist even after you've shed the physical body. So big up yourself and two slaps on your chest for for breathing and them things there, innit? So um yeah, I'm just gonna get into the tarot bits for this week. It might lead me on to other thoughts, but um I'll just get into it. So switched up pretty much all of the decks this week. Um, I'm using the Tarot of the Orishas by Zolrak. I'm using that. I've avoided buying this tarot deck for so long because some of the Orishas that are depicted in it, um, my guys made them look white and I have a real problem with that. Like the Orishas are very much Yoruba and yes, they traveled with the diaspora and um, things have, you know, they've amalgamated into different um belief systems and everything else to create something that can last based on the, you know, the kind of um, environment that um, people have found themselves in. So I understand that, but I just feel a type of way about the Orishas looking different, basically. But it took me a while to buy them, but I just thought, you know what, let me get them anyway, because it's all part of like broadening and deepening my spiritual practice. So and I'm actually learning a lot from the book that came with it as a companion. So it's that's that's going all right. It's it's a lot of learning. It's actually it feels very, very academic. But um I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it rather. So I've got the tarot uh of the Orisha, of the Orishas as one deck that I'm using. And then I've gone back to using the Kaleidodope deck by Crystal Banner. And obviously I've got the Say Your Mind Affirmation card deck and I've got the uh, Messages from Your Angels card deck as well. So I've just pulled from all of them to see what uh, the message is. And I guess the message is um, overall, and I think that's what I'm going to call this episode, that it's time to tell the truth. It's time for us to tell the truth to ourselves, you know, more so before we start thinking about telling the truth to other people, but telling the truth to ourselves, like what is our truth and there, and what, what are our truths? There are many, you know, but what will stand is that there's an ending to the illusion of what we believe to be self and what we believe to be other and what we believe to be reality So I feel like that's what's being explored here. But I say that because the first card that came out is the seven of cups in reverse. So in the Kaleidodope deck, she's got different cups. She's got like a red cup, drink, um, stripy cup and, you know, some tea cups, a mug um, and like a little chalice. So various cups for various occasions, same way that we have, you know, different emotions and different expectations from different occasions and different um, things that happen in our life. But the cards come out in reverse because I think that what this time has taught a lot lot of us um, is that there's an ending 
of an illusion, what we believe to be the, well, I've always known that the government were pussyclarts, but, you know, for those who maybe, I don't know, trusted in governments or thought that, you know, these people are in power because they're smarter than me or you know, this is the way that life has always been and will always be. We're seeing an absolute shattering of those illusions and those people that some of us may have had held in high regard that, oh, they know everything. And, you know, they've got this sorted. They've got this life thing um, sorted. We're seeing that even they don't, nobody has it. Nobody has it on lock. Everybody's figuring it out. Everything thus far has been an illusion and to some extent will remain that way, will continue that way um, because of the um, um, prevalence of kind of like um, social media and things like that. You know, things these things will remain, but it's how much we invest in them that's now different. We're not pinning all of our hopes on them like, oh, this is what I need to, to be happy and this is what I need to be a complete and whole person because that is not the case and never has been, but we're realising more than ever that it was actually just never the case to begin with. So the Seven of Cups is when it's upright, we're looking at like illusions. We're looking at things that we want or options, numerous options available to us and some of them um, are more beneficial to us than others. But this is showing us in reverse that, you know, we've realized the things that are beneficial to us and the things that aren't. And we're kind of like, you know what? I don't want any of this. Like, I, this is not what I want. I don't want to continue in this illusion. I do not want to continue um, perpetuating this um, damaging, this toxic um, belief system that isn't serving us at all. That it's like, how cute can you look? How well can you do this? Because for, for there to be you doing that, there has to be somebody not doing that or who's less good at that thing than you are. And it doesn't really have to be that way because we're all part of one thing. We're all part of one collective body. So this um, capitalist um, mentality uh, of hyper-individualism where I'm separate from everybody else and everything that I'm doing is for me and I'm separate, I'm separate, I'm separate. That is a false self that is an ego self, right? That tells you, that keeps wanting you to believe that you're separate from everything to make you this weird sort of false God. You know, we we, we are told in the Bible about being, a, a, you know, beware of false prophets and, and don't worship false gods. I think that when you, or when we focus on ego, that is a false God. That is not, that is a construct. That is a construct there that is there to separate us from the true I am the true us, the true stillness that that um, continues um, and permeates everything without force. It's just there. It just is, you know. So once we realize that actually we're all part of a collective body and that, the, the, you know, there are still boundaries in place when you are part of that collective body because you're here having, um, in some senses, an individual experience that still connects back to the collective body and the collective consciousness, but you are still having this experience as you, but re like remembering all the time that you're part of so much more, like we are part of so much more. So the Seven of Cups in reverse is the, like the reminder of that, like these veils that have been put in front of us to this smoke and mirrors that have been put in front of us to kind of confuse us and let us believe um that you know we're separate and we should always want that separate seat at the table like we, it's all about us 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 or you know as an individual we're realizing that that isn't the case that if we're going to get through anything it's going to be as a community you can't be free while anybody else is unfree like we've been told that and you know those words are political for a reason because there has to, we have to be political 
in order to bring about our evolution um, as um, as a collective, as a global kind of society. But to do that, um, you know, p- politics, I guess, are part of that boundary because the next card is the nine of wands and it's upright. So it's about a drawing a line in the sand and it's about setting boundaries for the life that you had pre Roro and the life that you're having after Roro, you know, but all of them, there is no really any before or after because it's just the continuous now, as we know, fine, cool, cool, cool. But there's a changing, there's a shift in your current presence, knowing the new things that you now know, or even remembering the things that you've always known, but it's been brought more to your consciousness, right? So now you've got, um, you're putting boundaries in place because you now know better you now know better. So you're now expected to do better. So this isn't the usual type of boundary where it's like, I'm keeping other people out and I'm keeping myself in. This is just the kind of, okay, I now expect better for myself. I now expect more um, presence, more um, accountability from myself. And I expect more truth from myself. And when I expect more truth from myself, what happens is that I stop looking at myself Um, or looking for completeness or completion outside of myself, whether that be in terms of achievements or whether that be in terms of a partner, um, you know, things like that. Because, yeah, you can want these things. You can achieve things, of course. Like, you know, go out, do you. Like, we're all baby girls, baby boys, baby non-binaries. We're out here doing um, what, um, you know, what we want to, you know, what we want to do in this physical body and the gifts and the talents that we have and whatever we want to use them. Cool. But to think that those things will complete us, that's where the that's where the insanity is. And that's where I've been mad for a very long time. And I and I don't think the madness is over because I feel like I'll still get pulled back into those things. And you even get pulled back into those things when you're when it comes to like stats for like podcasts and things like that. Like I know that this podcast is doing so well, but then if I go and put myself in certain around certain energies and certain environments of people who maybe work in that industry and they're like, well, this person's doing this and this person's doing that. So if you want to get sponsored, you need to be doing this or, or I can't work with you until you've got this. You start to look down on the things that you've achieved or I start to look down on the things I've achieved and I had to like sit myself down and be like, but you are a supreme baby girl. Like you're a baby girl of ages, of all ages. Don't, don't, don't get shaken. Don't get shaken. Like you're doing what you're doing. And sure enough, when I focus on just doing what I'm doing, the things, the very things that they were telling me, you can't get before this, you can't get before that. I'm getting it because once you just stay present and you just give all of your love and all of your, your nowness to everything that you're doing and you're in the moment all the time, or as much as you can be, whatever you produce, you can be proud of. And that energy is the one that transcends. That is the energy that resonates with people. So when people listen, they're like, oh, you know what? This person cares about what they're doing. They care about this. They're coming with the things. They're coming with the facts. They're coming with all of these things. I respect this. And then they carry it along and that energy continues and, and that vibration continues. And that's what, and you bring more people to you who are meeting you at that level of um, understanding. So, um, you know, those are the things that I've come to realize that, you know, 
I'm not, I don't become complete when I finally get that thing. I'm not now, I'm not going to be complete when I get the Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role, but, but, Asher, or when I'm in this film, Black Panther 2, but, but, Wild Seed, um, you know, being produced by Octavia Butler's, Octavia Butler's, Viola Davis's um, People Them, written by Octavia Butler. All of them things, they don't, they won't make me complete. I'm complete now. Everything that I require, I already am. You know, so anything else that um, I get is just an addition. It's a reminder. It's a reflection. It's a mirroring of my completeness. That is what we should all be seeking. And that is what I'm focused on, um, on, you know, inviting in and, and creating space for and holding space for just that innate understanding that I am already enough. I am already at peace, I'm already successful. I'm already, you know, all of the things that I'm looking out there to have proof validation for external validation for, I already can give myself that validation from the inside. So the, I think that these are what the, these are the things that are coming forward in the card because the, um, the card, like I said, is the lovers in reverse. So you've got seven of cups in reverse, nine of wands upright, then you've got the lovers um, in reverse. And I like the Kaleidodope deck because it's this, it's just the beautiful, uh, couple, black couple, um, roses, like deep purple roses. It almost looks like behind them making the backdrop. And then there's that connectedness. You don't even know where they connect, but it's the, I would say it's like the pelvic region, but it's just that sensuality that comes through from it. But I think it's come out in reverse because it's it's that idea of your completeness, that that merging, that duality that you're looking for to be reflected back to you already exists within you. You've already got both energies within you, the masculine and the feminine. You've already got those energies within you. Um, looking for that to be reflected to you on the outside, you have to still have that balance for yourself on the inside, you know, regardless of who comes in to bring in um, extra energies, you've still got to have your own on lock. So um, it's just that reminder. It's just that reminder that we are eternally buff. We are eternally peng because the say your mind affirmation card deck that came out is I am proper buff. And it says you are amazing spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Everything about you is glorious. And this is a reminder. This card is here to serve as a reminder always. And I think that that's important during this time as well you know, where so many people aren't seeing others. So they're like, am I still buff? Am I, am I, am I, am I still a baby girl? Am I still a baby boy? Am I still a baby non-binary? Am I just a baby person? Am I? You are, because if you always require other people to reflect you back to you, to remind you of your babyism, then were you ever a baby at all? Were you ever a baby person at all? The truth is you are always and always have been a baby person, not even a baby person in training. You've always been a baby girl, baby boy, baby non-binary. You have always been and you will always be. But until you, until we all realize that that state of babyism, that state of, you know, eternal and internal pangness resides within us, then searching for it outside will only bring more pain because eventually the sources that we seek it from will become depleted because they can only reflect us back to us so much, you know? And 
I think that that's why some marriages and relationships generally, romantic relationships, um, end up not working out in the way that people would like them to. Because in the initial stage, that kind of honeymoon phase where you're with the person and you're hoping that they reflect back to you your best self, you're hoping that they constantly give to you, give to you, give to you and you to them. Or sometimes it's just an imbalance, but even in the imbalance, you're getting something from it that that's that, you know, that's feeding something within you. Until they start reflecting back the bits that we hoped that they wouldn't see because we don't want to see those parts in ourselves. And then the problems start and then the arguments start. And then eventually, sometimes it just becomes too raw to keep having these things reflected back through their behaviors, through our behaviors, and then everything luck off, everything done. But when we are open to understanding that all the pangness that we see out in the world also resides within us. All the buffness that we see out in the world also resides within us. And in fact, more buffness can be seen in the world if we can see it within ourselves. Then when we are in romantic relationships, we're not really looking for that person to complete our buffness or to validate our buffness or to always remind us of our buffness because we always know that there's a base level of knowing that. And then actually, then you're not like ending up picking fuck people to be in your life, who they enter into this story, they enter into this play with you, this almost theatre play with you, where, show me I'm buff. Okay, here, you're buff for like five minutes, then I'm going to make you feel not buff again. And then it's just a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So you end up not at bringing those people or entertaining those energies so much. And in fact, those energies can't really survive around you unless they evolve and understand their own internal buffness and pangness as well. So they like, light can only bring more light, you know, dark places can't exist where there is light. So when you understand the light that, 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 that just radiates from your buffness, from your pangness that comes from the inside of who you are, the stillness inside, this, the buffness that comes from stillness, yeah? When you, when we are all in tune with it, then we can only bring more light to the world. And therefore the people that haven't quite found that in themselves, they either have to get on board eventually or they'll move away and they'll be further away until they figure it out. So yeah, that's the message that I've kind of got from that. It's a very weird analogy, but I hope that you stayed with me because you know your baby girl is just thinking some things. But if I apply this to um, my just the experiences that I've had and thinking about this um, episode and thinking about the themes of telling the truth, I had a book proposal out last year, end of last year, 2019. You would have heard me allude to it in um, episodes and then you would have heard my frustration in one of the episodes later on in the year or um, later on in 2019 or early 2020 when I decided that I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to take any of the deals that I'd been offered for the book proposal. I know that my book proposal bangs like we know that, come on, I does this like. And especially because what I want to discuss and what I want us to explore as a collective is um, anger and how we can reclaim anger, especially as black women, um, reclaiming our anger. Uh, And, you know, it was great to have people around me at the time that would that could um, advise me, be a sounding board as I figured out how I wanted to 
craft and construct this proposal and therefore how I would go forward uh, with the book. So I would say that at that point, my seven of cups, the options, the illusion, that card was upright for me. There were so many options, you know, publishers that were interested and making offers. Now, for some reason, everything just felt off for me. Like I just felt like nothing was where I wanted it to be. It seemed like even the people that were pitching that they wanted to, um, to buy the book or, you know, give me an advance and whatever, whatever, it didn't feel right. Like nothing felt like it was exactly as it should be for me. Like nothing felt optimal for my growth. Nothing felt optimal for my creativity. And the thing that kept coming back was, oh, but you know, and these are, you know, from people advising me, they're like, oh, but you know, there are other people, influencers as their man like to call them, who were offered less than you, Kalechi. They were offered less than you. So bear that in mind, bear that in mind. It's nonfiction, it's memoir, it's this, it's that, you know, and you're putting all of these things together, bear all of these things in mind, like your sample chapters, you're really pushing the boundaries. People aren't discussing spirituality in the way that you want to discuss it in some of these chapters. You've got to think of all of these things. Um, so bear all of this in mind, people got offered less than you, you consider this, you know, and academics, you know, they got offered, I don't give a shit about what academics got offered, if I'm perfectly honest, that's their personal problem. But, you know, it's the things that they kept putting to me. And it was also interesting to me how we frame academia. Like I'm a, I'm a, I am a professor. I am a doctor of baby girlism. I am a doctor of Ben's Panani womanism. Like I am the sole authority on this thing. So how can you come and tell me what I'm talking about? You know, just because I haven't gone and sat in um, Oxford or Cambridge to go and do whatever, whatever, you can't come and tell me because what I've got to then go into these institutions that are, that are just breath with, I just, just, I don't know, just, ugh with the institutional racism and all of the things that come with it, all the frustrations that they want to come and lord over somebody's head. You want me to go and put my creativity, my anointedness, go and take it into these environments and to be doing bus boss with these people all the time to try to get them to see something. Um, so then I can have a PhD. So then I can basically write what I would have written anyway. Mad. Like I, obviously I respect everybody that's doing it. Um, all of my doctor, baby girls, baby boys, baby non-binary binaries, I respect you all like that want to go down that path. But it was just interesting to me that the way that um, I was being kind of encouraged to take this deal was, oh, but, you know, academics were, you know, wrote loads for their chapters and they were offered less. And well, sorry, sorry to that. Sorry to that academic. Sorry to that man or woman, you know. So it was just interesting to me that something in me just didn't vibe with any of it. And I couldn't really put my finger on it at the time. I just knew that this is not reflecting my worth. When we now discuss what um, I deem as worth and what I deem as value, then that becomes a whole separate story that I might need to do a completely different podcast episode for. But to me, I just feel like I wouldn't have felt right if I didn't actually talk about this rather than alluding to it, like talk about it. And when these cards came up, it just confirmed that. And when I was, you know, having my bath and everything, it just, the, the thing just kept coming to me. Like, it's time to tell the truth. It's time to tell the truth. And truth is important because truth is relative. I get to some, I guess to some people, but there is an, uh, there is a truth that transcends all things. And, and I hope that that is what 
kind of comes through with all the things I'm talking about here. So when I'm, I'm using these cards to describe it. So to me, from the things that I've been told, this is all of what you man are offering is way below what I should have been expecting for a proposal such as this, that is just simply excellent. Yeah. All of this is mad. And you know, there were lovely meetings when I went to the publisher, they were all lovely meetings, like lovely people, beautiful gowns, lovely, but it just wasn't, nothing was really like really, really sitting with me because of what was being reflected in like what I was being offered. And also what was coming across in publicity and marketing and things like that. Like you man are sitting there telling me that, oh, well, you know, we'd get you to promote the book when it does come out. We'd get you on this podcast and we'd get you this and we'd get you that. But not to be, you know, big headed, but I can get all of those things already. Like literally everyone you've mentioned, I can get myself right now, right now in this moment. So there's nothing you're really bringing to me as a publisher, as a major, major publisher that I cannot do for myself in this instance. So we need to ask ourselves, is it because you're not well equipped to promote black women writers is that why we are in this situation not even black women writers only like black writers per se like just generally you're not very equipped a lot of these major publishers aren't very equipped and i'm speaking to so many um black authors and creators out there who are like oh yeah well you know i wouldn't say this in front of my publisher but i've had to actually do a lot of this stuff myself i've had to do this and do that. So it just makes me think, so what would you be doing for me with that little higgy hagger money that you're offering me? What would you specifically be doing for me that I cannot do for myself? And based on the, you know, what the amount of work that you want me to now deliver as well, it seems a bit mad, seems a bit mad. So nine of ones had to kick in, um, at that time. And I had to just be like, well, I don't want to write Um, I don't want to take any of the offers. I'm going to hold back on writing this book or I'll be writing it, minding my business. And when I have more, when I've had time to explore more, then I'll be back because I believe that um, the proper use of anger, um, an understanding of anger as a covering of pain um, and um, as a catalyst for interrogating and analysing our pain and then finding a way to transmute that pain uh, into a better understanding of who we are in a grand scheme of things and what that means for our black womanhood in society that can bring us joy that can bring about a transformation for our entire lives whether it's relationships whether it's whatever i'm saying this now because when i said oh I'm, i think i'm going to talk about it at some point people are like don't talk about it in case someone steals your idea you can't steal my idea you can't take what you know, it's not possible. My essence will always be my essence. Even if, you know, I'm sharing a superficial kind of, um, expression of that essence, you can't take what is inherently me, you know? So I had to draw that line in the sand and be like, boom, I don't want to go ahead with it. I'm just not. And I was very vexed because I just felt like nothing was in the right place. And I was disappointed as well because I was looking forward to, you know, the happy to announce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got my book coming out. But then the lovers in reverse was what kicked in for me because all I was being reminded of at that time, whether it was I doing readings for myself or through meditation and prayer, I was being reminded that the God I serve will never leave me nor forsake me. And if something isn't as it should be at this time, I need to understand that something greater is in, you know, is in, is at play. And that is not to say that I'm hinging my hopes on a future per se, but just understanding that this wasn't the right time 
for that thing. This the, the conditions weren't optimal for the growth or the blooming of that thing that I'm trying to bring into the world. And all that reminded me of was just so many other things that have happened in life and and the grief and the loss that you can feel around those things, especially because they've been, um, you know, you've you've kind of got all of this anticipation around them and understand. And then when you find out that, oh, I actually can't happen at this point, you're a bit disheartened, but do not be disheartened. I'm telling this, um, telling you of my experience. So whoever's going through anything similar, it might not be a book, it might not be whatever, but I've come out the other side where it's been months now, absolutely months now since then. And I've had time to really process it and to be so grateful that I instinctively understood what was happening around me, understanding that the external factors that was I was seeing were actually um a manifestation of the internal conflict that I was happy um that I was having. I wasn't happy with my team. I wasn't happy with the conditions that I was entering into this thing with, because I felt like I wasn't able, suddenly I wasn't able to say, talk my shit. I wasn't able to like, you know, do me because suddenly it was like, well, if you say that, then, you know, if the publisher sees, they might think this and they might think that. And I just thought, fuck that. Fuck that. Like if I can't be me, well, you know, you know, me is even a funny term, but if I can't just go about expressing myself as I'm used to, and I need to dumb myself down, there was a lot of dumbing down that I really could not take. And a lot of kissing rings that from people's smelly fingers that I, I just don't do, you know, there was a lot of tactical playing that had to take place that, just were mind boggling to me. And they really hurt my head because I just want to just do me. And it's very, very hard. And being in this, um, being in that industry and looking around and seeing that there are so many, well, quite a few black women within this industry, this publishing industry and any industry really, but you see them and people try to give you the idea of like that there's a sisterhood when there is no sisterhood. I've come to really deep it just generally, not even just in terms of writing, but in everything, I don't really see a sisterhood. And I have to be honest about that. I, even from when I was in high school, I've always kind of felt like um, the outsider. So I would go to my drama uh, classes and I'd be in all the school productions or I'd be doing sports or I'd be at air cadets or something. Like I was always just kind of doing my own thing on the outskirts of everybody else, never really fitting in. And that's the same kind of feeling I get when I look at like these industries now and what people call a sisterhood, because I don't think that people are being truthful. I don't think we are all sitting down and really being truthful with ourselves first and foremost, and then truthful with other black women, because I definitely believe competition is healthy, but if you don't acknowledge that the competition is even at play, what then you get is rivalry and people are still playing it. Well, you know, I invited that person to my event. So how can I be a rival to them? I invited that person to this and I did this with them when really everyone's working from a place of fear that they will be kind of, um, you know, left on the shelf once a new thing comes along. So there's just a lot of fear, um, this energy of fear, this vibration, this very low vibration of just, um, fear just operating like everywhere. And it didn't feel right that I've got to think like 10 steps ahead because somebody's doing this and somebody's doing that. And it's interesting now that I see certain developments. And even when I was thinking of titles for the book and I was kind of pushed away from going with certain titles and then I'm seeing certain titles flying about now and I'm just like, oh, rah, skein, skein, skein. But 
ultimately, the title that I felt very comfortable with was um, to do with anger anyway. But yeah, I had to realize that the time wasn't right. The time wasn't right. And I didn't feel that the team was right. I didn't feel... And that's not to to downplay anybody's excellence. Like people can be excellent. People can be wonderful. People can be brilliant at what they do and it just not be the right alchemy for the kind of gold that you're trying to make, you know, or whatever precious thing that you're trying to make, you might just not have the right components with those particular people, but that doesn't make them bad guys. It doesn't make them villains. It just wasn't right. So I had to, at the beginning of the year, look at everything, look at how my priorities have changed since having Lev and be like, you know what? This isn't going to work for me and just have to respectfully tell people I'm done. And I don't even actually think that I'm completely done with even that act of, you know, shedding what doesn't um, what doesn't serve me or serve my growth. I think that there's still going to be more that I have to do as this year progresses with all of the things that we're seeing now. But um, I just it was it was important and it was scary to do that because I had to really see that when when you're great at what you do and when you are sure of the thing that you want to bring into the world, it makes other people very scared and um, pu- the publishing industry being very, very white um, and male primarily, but just very, very white generally. When you're coming to them and talking about, I want to, um, in you know, I want to interrogate um, wom- um, womanhood and divine femininity and how, um, for instance, religion has been at, um, a, has been at attacking divine femininity for centuries and how Yoruba cosmology has been vilified in a way. So people, especially Yoruba people, Nigerian people, black people do not realize the power that there is for them within this, um, spiritual system. Um, and how you can reconcile that with the Christianity, I guess, that you've grown up with, but also sitting there to analyze what does serve you within this particular Abrahamic religion that you want to hold on to. So there's so many things that I wanted to discuss and they were like, what? But all of it still came back to anger and how anger can be a catalyst for change um, as long as you keep it moving. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was just not right. And one of the things that struck me is when they would say like, what do you, where do you see yourself? And I'd give an example and there'd be like a scoffing. So them not seeing me as great and grand as I see myself, that told me that it wasn't a right kind of, um, environment. It wasn't the right kind of environment for me. I don't want to be like rambling, but I just want to make sure that I, say this in a way that makes these cards make sense. What I've realized now that is that that was an illusion. Those options were illusions and they weren't going to serve me. I had to sit down and be like, Kalechi, baby girl, why do you want to write a book? Uh, Because I want to write a book because I want to put it out into the world and da, 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 da. And I had to sit with myself and be like, you're a light. You can't handle the truth. You don't know the truth. I had to really sit, <laughs> sit down with myself and say that because it's a lie. 
it's a lie. And then, and, and the way that everything else that we're seeing crumbling in society right now, because of what we've, this, um, this virus and everything else that's happening, there has to be a crumbling of a part of my ego and tell the truth to myself that I just felt like the next stage of what you're expected to do um, when you have a platform like I have, you're expected then to... I mean, in fact, that was like one of the first lines in my book proposal, that there comes a point when da, 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 when you ask, when are you going to have a book out? So did I want it out because I actually wanted to shift the paradigms um, in terms of the conversations that we're having around anger, blackness, womanhood, femininity, divine femininity? Like, um, do I want to... Is, is the reason I want this thing out there to be part of that legacy, to be part of what I've contributed. Like I allowed my life to unfold and my destiny to unfold in a way that I left this and it would allow for other people's destinies to unfold. Am I doing it for that? Or am I doing it because I just want to be like, happy to announce that I've got a book coming out. Um, and then it not be the way that I want it to be because I knew that it wasn't, Right. And I knew that it was a karmic lesson. I knew that there was something happening in terms of my spiritual growth when like the one of the people that offered the most was somebody that kept infantilizing me in their emails. Like the way that this person kept talking about me, I was like, I want to spark them in their jaw. Who the fuck are you talking about? But just kind of, oh, she, I'm going to help her get to where I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I thought, who are you, who are you talking about like you don't first of all you don't 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 please don't and so so you're telling me that these are my choices yeah so if I'd gone with this person I how frustrating would that process have been to tell them that this is something that you will not understand but this is a truth that needs to be out there because I know it will resonate with so many black women oh well we don't even know if black women are going to buy the book so I think you should do it this way so it would have been a constant battle and I realized then that where I'm finding myself, whether it's even in terms of astrology or just, just in terms of where I am on my spiritual trajectory, um, and how I'm developing as a woman in this world, as a, as a spiritual being in this world, is that this is one of many tests I'm going to have. Do you want the shiny thing, Kelechi? Do you want the shiny thing or do you want to transcend do you want to vibrate higher? Do you want the shiny thing or do you want to vibrate higher? Which one do you want? Because you're not really going to be able to have both because that's not how any of this works. And so in that moment, I had to realize that, yes, I'm still going to put this um, thing out, this baby out, this book out eventually, but it has to be at the right time. And I have to have the right environment for it to flourish in the way that it deserves to. And therefore it's not kind of beholden to, did it hit this bestseller list? Did it do this? Who are we comparing it to? And we're comparing it to people that could, could not match me on their best day. So, but you've got to do it. So publishers understand. So they've got, they've got reference points when those reference points aren't even accurate. You know, so there's so much happening and there was so much of my tongue that I had to swallow that I felt like I will choke if I have to go through this whole process. So I don't want to do it right now. I don't want to do it right now until things just feel better. I had to make that choice um, for myself. Um, yeah, it was it, it it was it was tough. It's tough. And and. And I know that, like I said, there's going to be many more lessons like that 
you know, many more lessons like that. And, and they might even be harder options to choose between. And then I'm going to be racking my brain. But if I truly understand that it's not a brain that I even need to rack, I just need to be still and understand that anything that isn't helping me to really be present and be in the now and only be chasing an illusory um, kind of um, sense of achievement or um, betterment ultimately isn't for, that isn't for my good. You know, the only being present is for my, is for my good, is for the good of all really. So those things I had to kind of like weigh up. And I think that some of us will find ourselves at those sorts of crossroads at some point this year, or maybe in the next two years, like is what you're doing making you more alive or is it killing you? And I felt like in some senses that was killing something that didn't, you know, that, that shouldn't have to die and would never die anyway, but I would just move further and further away from it. And I, I wouldn't want that. So yeah, I had to really tell the truth to myself and figure out whether I wanted to write something to please my ego or whether I wanted to write something that would express um, the learning that I'm doing um, from this perspective of my higher self. Which one is it? Because one will take a bit longer than the other and one will take a different route uh, than the other. So I'm not really, like I said, really seeing a sisterhood out there per se. I just see lots of people scrambling um, for one seat at a stupid table um, and telling the truth means I don't want to be even at the table. You know, there's just something else. There's, there's a, there's a different type of communion, um, a different, different type of community that, um, I know is out there that I feel like I'd want to be more of a part of that. But, um, yeah, you know, I just, I just felt that I would share that with you. Um, because it's always good to be transparent. Um, so yeah, the, um, the next card that came out is a mystique and that's from the messages from your angels card deck. So mystique says, keep charging ahead and don't take no for an answer. Expect miraculous solutions to appear. And the further message is, you are on the right path. Although it might seem to take a lot of time and effort, keep up the good work. You are definitely making progress towards your intended outcome. Sometimes flexibility is called for when you're working towards an aim. But in this instance, you need to stay firm in your conviction. Compromise will only water down the divine plan that you're manifesting. Look at that resist the urge to bend or to please oh resist the urge to bend or to please others in the end these individuals will be pleased by the outcome you're following a divine course and others may not be privy to the same vision that you're following do your best to explain this visions to the others involved but don't feel the need to defend your actions look at my picture i am com- coming out of the darkness and into the light so are you so um, you know what you're doing and we in heaven are here to back you up fully. Wow. Wow. Oh my God. But that's it. It's nine of one's energy, standing firm, stand your ground, standing firm in what you draw that line in the sand and be like, I'm not shaking on this one. I don't want to do this thing because I don't think that it is right for me. And 
people might not understand today and they want to talk all of the things like, oh, she's crazy. Oh, she's this, she's that. That's fine. That's fine. Because eventually the the truth will be there. Like you, you can't hide the light forever. You know, the truth will, will be out there and they will see that. Look at that. Didn't it come out the way that it should? Um, People can only operate from what they currently understand. So if they're used to something being a particular way, they can't see it any other way because this is what they've learned and this is what they've been indoctrinated with. So to them, there can be no other way. The impossible only becomes possible when somebody goes, that's not impossible, and they give and they have a go at it. And that's really what my vibe is. Like, you can't tell me that I can't do something. Just tell me that you tried to do that thing and you couldn't, but I'm still going to give it a shot anyway. That That, that is just the way that I am. And then from the Tarot of the Orishas, the card that came out is Aleba. And it says here, it's related to jobs, progress in one's work or job, abundant productivity, profitable advertising campaign. Your message will be well well received, tempting and uh, practicable offers, vitality. So that's it because Elewa is also the carrier of um, messages as well, isn't it? an issue as well. But um yeah, I'm still getting used to all of this. What does it say here? Um yes, it's about having access to things. So Elegua is the patron of all doors and of all roads. Therefore the magical keys to open the most in- inviolable 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 locks and um the permits to walk the different paths that humanity will travel belong to him. So um that's it i think access time sometimes it takes it takes a while for things to work out the way that you'd like them to and sometimes they don't even work out the way that you would like them to but they work out for your highest good so that's the message i feel from the tarot that was long as fuck it just gets longer and longer every time but i always feel the need to make sure that i convey the message as um honestly as possible. So that's that. Share Your Magnificence. I haven't had a chance to read this book, but Jonathan's mum's written a book called The Driving Seat with um, a Lady Minicab Driver. So two slaps on your chest, Gladys Mapanda, for writing this book. I'm just going to read you the back of it. It's called the, like I said, it's called The Driving Seat with a Lady Minicab Driver. And it says, the author shares a journey of hope that women can do anything if they trusted themselves. Despite her age, the author ventured into the driving trade and made a job of it. As a woman in this men-dominated trade, she faced challenges from not only her male colleagues, but male riders who thought she needed lessons in driving despite her experience in driving for many years. This book has other parts that will make you laugh as well as empathise with her as she faces challenges thrown in every day during her rounds. Reading this book will give the insight to understand the private hire slash minicab industry, but also women out there to venture into this trade, which gives you freedom to work around family life, authority to take control with who rides with you and feeling secure whilst doing it. So it's lovely that Jonathan's mum has gone ahead. I remember mentioning her in one of the very first few episodes. Um, and it's just great that she's got this book out. So like I said, it's called The Driving Seat with a Lady Minicab Driver by Gladys Mapanda. So if you want to support a baby girl, our auntie, a baby girl, you can do that. That's um, my first share, Your Magnificence. So big up yourself, Auntie Gladys. 
for doing wonderful things. That's two slaps on your chest. And my next magnificence, is it myself? I've got a letter here as well. It says, Hi, Kalechi. I was going to submit a straw of the week, but after taking time to calm down, I've decided to submit a share your magnificence and it's you. Thank you. It says, I cannot express how grateful I am for what you do, all the things, and how sorry I am for how exhausting it must be. Even at my small scale and small age of 21, I find that having to balance between letting fuckery slide and using my energy to educate people, put them in check, and try so very hard to not tell them about their clarts is incredibly tedious work. You are my share, your magnificence. Um, you are my share, my magnificence, because for the duration of the time I've been following you and listening to the podcast, I see all the times you sacrifice your energy to call people out on their bullshit and educate people to make sure they're less ignorant. I don't think people appreciate what you do enough or just how much it takes out of someone to, to so consistently do what you do. If you were to stop today, tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever, absolutely nobody should say Pim because you are not a superhero. You are human and you are constantly grinding, giving the people the courage we need to finally speak our minds offering a space through this podcast where I genuinely feel like I belong and I'm understood and you drag me with the tarot every time you ask for nothing well so much less than you deserve and it infuriates me each and every day when uh, people are on your case you you using your voice to speak out against people quasi asim tweet for idiocy <laughs> is something you absolutely should not have to do i respect and appreciate you regardless of whether you're doing this or not and i thought it was important to send an email in for the first time to let you know i appreciate you for being so transparent with us for asserting your right to slip into silence and solitude when you need to and that you refuse to do anything you haven't chosen to and always make sure people know that their unsolicited remarks will be left ignored or shamed um this is just wonderful. Um, I appreciate you. Um, and she goes on to say, this isn't necessarily for your podcast. If you don't want it to be, it's just very important for me to send you this email so that you know that there are people who recognize how draining and exhausting and tedious everything you do is. It is a difficult position to be in. And I want you to note that I'm in no way praising you for the work being exhausting, simply that it is fucking unfair to be in a position where so many people are so ignorant that if there weren't people like you to blast, teach and tell others to go suck their mums, things would be so much harder than they are. Once again, I'm grateful for you and for your generosity. You've taught me to speak my mind properly instead of internalizing all the vitriol that people spew. You have also taught me to recognize when I'm at capacity and need to switch off. You have done so much work for so long and I know there are people like me who sing your praises, but I don't think the world truly recognizes just how special and important you are. I'm wishing you peace and abundance, prosperity and everlasting contentment. Lots of love and respect from a baby girl. Thank you so much, AW. Thank you so, so much. That word contentment is just so, um, just, just so relevant right now because that's ultimately it for me. That is what I feel and want. And that's why I had to step back quite a bit from just social media and just let people do what the people them are doing because it's a lot. And I just, I gotta find peace of mind. I gotta find peace of mind. So yeah, Lauren Hill for your your pathave. Um, he says it's impossible, but I know it's possible. He says it's impossible without him, but I know it's possible. Yes. 
Um, I love that song. People feel like um, Unplugged wasn't a great album, but I definitely vibe with where Lauren Hill was at that stage in her life and all the things that... I felt like it was very much tower-like energy if we're looking at tarot terms. It was tower. She was... Things were crumbling and she was giving us the star energy that there's hope after everything has crumbled and taking away the veil of... um, And taking away the illusions as well. Like, Lauren Hill was telling her truth in that Unplugged album and I just feel like it won't resonate with people who aren't really deep in what she's saying. I feel like there were some things that she was saying that I was just like, a bit problematic. But generally, I, I vibe with it. I vibe with it. I love that album. So, um, to finally be in love. Woo! And know the real meaning of a lasting relationship. Boy, not based on ownership. Do-do-do-do. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to So You Mad. So this week on So You Mad, the first thing I wanted to go into was this tweet that I saw by somebody. I'm not even going to like help his name and give him any more um, praise or, or give him any more um, airtime than he needs. Um, but he wrote here, uh, single lady. You are 28. You are rejecting men left, right, and center. 30 is fast approaching. If you don't get serious before 30, next stop is 35. And if you miss that, you may start begging for a husband. Yes, I am intentionally putting you under pressure. Hashtag praise nuggets. Praises nuggets. Sometimes I wonder why, I don't know if this is this person's biological name because I'm going to have to say their name now, but they're called Praise. And sometimes I feel like, do you ever meet those people who have names like, I don't know, Charity and Abundance and whatever, and they feel like they're the exact opposite of the name that they've been given? Just like, how is your energy directly oppositional to the name that you've been given? Because look at Charity, Greenleaf, um, in, um, you know, this um, in the series Greenleaf. I've never met somebody so uncharitable. All she's charitable with is her stupidity and her, her insecurity. Charity is annoying as hell. But yeah, he's called praise and he doesn't deserve any praise. He's a madman. And this is what I can't stand. This misogyny, um, and I'll say specifically misogynoir, because this is something that's lauded um, over black women quite a lot that, oh, um, you know, look at you being single. Well, you're rejecting men and you're out here acting like you've got some choice. And I think I've mentioned something, someone else wrote some kind of dumb tweet a little while ago as well that I mentioned on the podcast. Oh, you're rejecting men left, right and centre, but you're going to get to 35 years old and you're going to have to beg men to want you. Piss off. Piss off. Go away. All you're telling us is nobody wants you and that's okay because you want them anyway. Hey, but they don't want you. They don't want you. So you're not going to pressure. And look at you saying, yes, and this is me giving you pressure. You can't pressure people into being with you. And if we just tell the truth, if we just tell the truth, 
will realize that some people in marriages right now, some women in marriages right now, if society hadn't pushed it as such a thing that they need to do and tick off their list to be taken seriously as a woman, a lot of these women would not be married. They would not be. They would like, how does marriage really benefit you in this society? Marriage is of no real benefit to you as a woman. So if you're entering into it, you're entering into it because you're just like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. I want to be here. But the way that society's positioned it is like, well, if you don't get married, have you looked at the life expectancy of married women in comparison to married men? Married men live longer. Men who get married live longer. Women who get married live shorter lives. Why? Everyday stress. And why? Because they got pressured into it. So look at all the energy he's got here to talk about, oh, yeah, Lev is agreeing. Look at all the pressure he's put in here about, oh, well, she needs to do this. People don't apply the same pressure to men. People don't write tweets about, oh, well, you, this man, you're 28. Life is passing you by. By the time you're 35, you're not, you're going to be begging for someone to marry you. It never applies to men because a man can be 98 years old. A man can be 98 years old and still be out here like, oh, somebody will want me. Somebody's going to, somebody going to want to get this dick. Okay. But that, you know, that is still possible for men, but women once it's like past 35, everyone wants to start chatting crap. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. It is a lie. In fact, women get more sensual, more in touch with their bodies. Some would say even more freaky, the older that they get, because they, they have more time to really ruminate and get used to their bodies and really enjoy their bodies. Like their bodies would have gone through so much. I'm talking, I guess, in this case, in terms of cisgender, but maybe not, maybe not. Who knows? I have to speak to trans um, women about that as well. But over time, we settle into our bodies. We get used to just this is the way that things are. And I think that there's a certain power from that. And that's important too. So when I see tweets like this, I just think, imagine being somebody who has to bully women to be with you. Imagine being that sort of person that you have to go, well, how old are you? 28. Oh, oh, oh. Well, if you don't give me that pussy, honestly, you're going to have to come back and beg me in 20 or, you know, seven years to take it. You're lying. You're lying. You're just vexed because why? Women are expressing autonomy. Women are expressing the fact that they know that they don't have to choose between the false binaries that you've created, where it's marriage or destitution. They know that they don't have to choose between that. They know that they can just live their best life regardless. If they choose to enter into a marriage, they're choosing it from a place of um, completion and from strength and a knowing of self. They're not choosing it because they're being pressured into it. Your pressure isn't working anymore. Under pressure, nah not anymore so I just wanted to share that because he's clearly clearly mad and he's even got a book out this useless individual and I just always find it funny how men have so much time to release books telling um, women how to behave in order to get men but they don't have time to write books to tell men how to stop being fuckboys they don't write those books it's always women that people are directing their energy towards leave women alone piss off leave women alone go and mind your business face your front okay okay so that was my first So You Mad. Um, my second So You Mad, this was rather a, a conf, very confuddling one for me, is what I'd call it. So Alison Roman, she is a food writer and she's got a cookbook out and she just does her things. I saw that Chrissy Teigen recently called her out effectively because... Um, 
she mentioned Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo in one of her interviews. They were interviewing her about the next stage, um, Alison's next stage. Um, now that she's got a cookbook out, like what does she want to do next? You know, that sort of thing. And, she, and I think she's got two cookbooks out even and people love her Instagram page. I've never been on it. Don't know about her, whatever. But I did see this and think it was really, really interesting so she's got her brand she's doing her thing and she was interviewed by um what is it called the new consumer they interviewed her and they said to her what kind of business model I guess she wants to follow in terms of what she's doing with her career and she said something like well um I wouldn't want a career like did she say I wouldn't want a career I'm trying to find what she says because, um, and if I haven't mentioned, she's a white girl. She's a white girl. Um, and so, yeah, he says here, Roman 34 has emerged as one of the most interesting and visible people in the food media world. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why that's, that's the case. At a time when cooking at home has unexpectedly taken over our lives. And uh, she's now at a crossroads how to build a bigger business without selling out. Uh, Roman, who has sold her first TV show, said in the article that turning her brand into lifestyle line with a variety of products related to cooking, home and style may not be something she's interested in. She said, I'd rather stay small and always be myself. But at the same time, I do need to figure out how to turn this into money. Oh, girl, you are speaking to me. Um, The interview continued with Roman saying that she enjoys cooking because you're making something, but it goes away. Like the idea that when Mary Kondo um, decided to capitalize on her fame and make stuff that you can buy, that is um, completely antithetical to everything she's ever taught you. I'm like, damn, bitch, you, um, you just, you, what's it? You just fucking sold out immediately. Now, I just want to address that. What you'll notice is that Alison goes for two women of colour to do this fuckery to. I think two Asian women, I think you can call them. I don't know where Chrissy Teigen's from, sorry. But um, she goes for two women of colour anyway to um, criticise about the choices that they've made in their careers coming from her as a white woman who loves to cook Asian foods. And this is another thing, the uh, the colonialism that takes place in the food industry. Everybody loves food from all different places in the world as long as it's one dusty white hand that's making it. You know, we've got this white people over here making jerk chicken. Okay, we're going to go with that. Or we've got these white people over here wanting to make um, Korean food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. It's so cool. And they're getting the platforms. They're getting, you know, we've got these white people over here that want to make plantain crisps. Oh, you know, they get all of the platforms. Do you never ask yourself why that is? racism racism it's just wild to me that everything gets colonized everything and people only want it people are only willing to like spend money give it the tv shows give it the things when white people can be involved and be the face of it so you have a cheek to be talking about Marie Kondo and all of these people and these women when you have literally built your career off their cultures so mind out before you find out okay Alison okay Right. So the fact that she's bringing up Marie Kondo and saying, oh, well, you know, she I'm just shifting myself from Lev's playpen. 
Um, she brought out Marie Kondo saying, oh, well, you know, she um, sold out immediately. No, Marie Kondo told you to get rid of the fucking shit in your yard that you're not using, that's been sitting there for like 79 years and you know that you're not going to use it. Clear space, make space. She didn't say that she, you, you can't then get new things. She just said, get rid of the things that no longer bring you joy. Is that not a word? Is that not a mood? Think about it. Get rid of the things that don't bring you joy. Does that not mean that I can't now bring other things into my life that will bring me joy. It just means that I choose from a place of knowing and I choose from a place of being present and not just buying blindly, but thinking, will this thing bring me joy? Will it continue to bring me joy? Then I buy from that place. And she's giving you things that help you compartmentalize your um, belongings in a, in an optimal way. Like what is your problem and why be so reductive? Because when Gwyneth Paltrow is selling fucking, what is it, candles smelling of um, her pussy, you don't have this energy. Yeah, you don't have this energy. But it's when it's other people who aren't white, oh, you've got all of the things to say then. So she said this about Marie Kondo and then she continued and she said, that's the thing. You don't need a ton of equipment in your kitchen to make great food. Okay, girl. Okay. You also don't need a lot of things in your bathroom to wash your legs. But, you know, here we are. Anyway, she goes on to say, um, uh, for the low price of $19.99, please buy my cutting board. Like, no, find the stuff that you love and buy it. Well, literally, that's what Mary Kondo was saying as well. So you tried it. And she goes, support businesses and makers. It feels greedy unless something just simply didn't exist that I wish existed. But that would not make me an inventor. But that would make me an inventor, which I'm not. She then goes, like what Chrissy Teigen has done is so crazy to me, she said in the interview. She has a successful cookbook and then it was like, boom, line at Target, boom. Now she has an Instagram page that has over a million followers where it's just like people running a content farm for her. That horrifies me and it's not something that I ever want to do. I don't aspire to that, but like who's laughing now because she's making a ton of fucking money. I'm more interested in expanding myself as a writer. My next book is going to be a narrative nonfiction, essays and short stories and stuff. Okay, but is that not a product? Is that not a product? So it's just interesting when you really break down what some white women are saying. It's just like, I am allowed to sell things. You're not allowed to sell things. When I sell things, it's cute. But when you sell things and you're attractive and you live a life and you do this, no, I don't want that for you. That's too greedy. You're having too much. It's a very weird thing. It's the same thing that we were talking about when it came to the Paula, um, Paula Sutton, um, you know, Hill House Vintage thing, where when it's not white people doing something, suddenly everyone then has the critique, a critique that could be valid if you were running it across the board to everybody, but you're not. You're saving all of your energy to talk about these people specifically, but um, and we are very, very aware of how different they look to you and therefore how different their experiences would be to yours. So Chrissy Teigen obviously then um, tweeted and she said, um, this is a huge bummer and hit hard. I've made recipes for years now, bought the, um, I've made her recipes as in um, Alison Romans. I've made her recipes for years now, bought the cookbooks, supported her on socials, praised her in interviews. I even signed on to executive produce the very show she's talking about doing in this article. Look at that. See what jealousy does. See what jealousy does to people. When you can't just face your front, when that, when that, that racism within you just can't, that, that demonic racism in you can't quell itself enough for you to secure your bag. This is what happens. 
Yeah, because Chrissy Teigen even signed on to be executive producer of the very show that you're talking about that you've that has just been bought. And then now look at where you found yourself chatting shit. So Teigen went on to say um, um, that she started her Cravings cookbook and accompanying brand because she wanted to start something for herself. I wanted something John didn't buy. I wanted something, John Legend is her husband in case you didn't know that. Um, I wanted something John didn't buy. I wanted something to do that calmed me, made me happy and made others happy. Cravings isn't a machine or farmed content. It's me and two other women, Teigen wrote. I didn't sell out by making my dreams come true to have a cookware line, to get to get to be a part of that process, start to finish, to see some things go from sketch to in my hands. I love that, Tegan continued. The Cravings writer shared her sentiments in a series of follow-up tweets. I don't think I've ever been so bummed out by the words of a fellow food lover. I just had no idea I was perceived that way, by her especially. And Mary too. Mary's awesome, Tegan wrote. She continued, it's been crappy to deal with this all day, but I couldn't not say something. I know the actual tears I put into the work I do, and it's really hard to see someone try to completely invalidate it, someone I really liked. So, um, she then Tegan said that in, in terms of cravings, they aren't even making any money from it yet. She said it's work, 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 work. And the word that the reward is you liking it. She wrote this farm you think of doesn't exist. I am the farm. I am the cows, the horses and the pigs. Um, obviously Alison thought she was just going to say that and get no kind of, um, response. So when now people are firing at her, telling her about her pussy, she then jumps back online and she's just like, hi, Chrissy Teigen. I sent an email, but also wanted to say here that I'm genuinely sorry I caused you pain with what I said. I shouldn't have used you or your business or Mary's as an example to show that what I wanted for my own career, it was flippant, careless, and I'm so sorry. Okay. Why didn't she tag Mary Kondo as well? She tagged Chrissy, Chrissy Teigen. She didn't tag Mary Kondo because, because you're being called out now. Should you not go and apologize to everybody? I hope Mary Kondo got an email as well because this is the thing. When white women have these kind of like, when they lash out in this way, they just expect nothing to come of it. And when it does, it's like, oh, oh, I wasn't thinking. Oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't thinking. I, it's not how I wanted to say it. So how did you want to say it? English is actually your language. It's not mine. It's your language. Why are you fucking it up so badly? Why can't you speak your own language? Yeah. It seems like you're the one that's speaking broken English because you don't even understand how your own language works. It's absolutely mad. So the fact that she wrote, I've sent an email already means that she knew that people would be like, oh, have you even bothered to address this via email? Have you done that? So she wanted to make it clear that, well, you know, I have girls. And then she continued, um, being a woman who takes down other women is absolutely not my thing. And I don't think it's yours either. I, to me, that sounds like a threat because you're saying taking down other women isn't your thing. And this is a very like Taylor Swifty vibe. You've done something that's very harmful to another woman. And then you'll turn around and go, but I like women. I don't, I don't mean women any harm, but you have harmed them. Now we're looking at the reality in that you have harmed them. So what now? And to now say, but I hope it's not your thing either, as if stop talking now, don't say anything else before I start crying and I get really upset. 
you didn't need to mention names. It's very easy to talk about what you want to talk about and not mention names. Even if you're very kind of specific enough that people know who you're talking about, you still don't need to mention names. So the fact that you did mention names, you should be ready to get got. So she now goes on to say, um, I obviously failed to effectively communicate that. I hope we can meet one day. I think we'd probably get along. No, 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 we're not meeting anymore. We're not chatting anymore. I gave you all of the support before ever meeting you. You decided to move mad in an interview so you could go fuck yourself. Like, it's just very nasty. And then again, infantilizing herself. Oh, there's no one to hold baby's hand during her first online backlash. Nobody needs to hold your hand and you're not baby because nobody's put you in a corner. Yeah. You put yourself in that corner. Nobody put you there. You put yourself in the corner, like the dunce that you are, like the fool that you are. You did that to yourself. So you can face the repercussions and you should shut your mouth. Now that's not me being out here really riding for Chrissy Teigen because I still remember, and that tweet got brought up as well. I still remember in 2013 where she tweeted something like, oh, um, you know, something like, is it okay that I don't like Kevazane Wallace? You know, the the actress, the little black actress girl that played Annie when they did the remake of Annie with, is it Jamie Foxx? Yeah, and she, it seemed like around that time, everyone thought that they could run jokes on this little black girl, like it was like fine to talk about her in that way. And I just find it really, really unnerving like really unnerving. I saw her recently in Blackish and she seems to just be wonderful and living her best life. But Chrissy Teigen, you're out here crying like, oh, I'm so bummed that someone said this about me. But when it's little black girls, you feel like it's okay to make them jokes and you're married to a black man. Mm, mm, Where have I heard that before? It's just, I didn't like that. So I've always been a bit kind of mm, with Chrissy Teigen. I'm not quite sure about her. Like she does that same thing, that very kind of attractive, um, some would say racially ambiguous women like to do where it's just like, oh, I'm such a goofball. Look at me being a goofball. But you also do very nasty, very snide things. And I think that comment um, about um, Kevajani Wallace was one of them. Um, And the fact that she kept stressing to people how to pronounce her name, which I probably forgot. You know, Know, people didn't like that like why is this little black girl you know asserting herself she shouldn't be allowed to do that people hate when little black girls black women generally say oh i know my worth it makes people very very uncomfortable but you know what they can do they can go fuck at themselves okay so um yeah i just thought that that whole um situation was very very interesting anyways um that's that for so you mad i think i saw so many other things that i wanted to talk about but my mouth is tired. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to move on to um, straw of the week, AKA um, suck your mum. And woo, woo, woo. I don't even know what to say about this um, Ahmad Aubrey, um, Arbery case. So... Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, they gunned down Ahmad Arbery, um, 25 years old, on his daily jog in Brunswick, Georgia. His mother said he was hunted down like an animal and killed. Um, the thing is, they weren't arrested. This, this They did this, um, I think, like two months ago. They shot Ahmad. I think about two months ago, 
And it's only now that they're even being arrested for that very thing. So it says here, um, the fatal shooting of a black man apparently recorded on video in February and posted online Tuesday by a local radio station host will go to a grand jury in coastal Georgia, according to a district attorney. Elements of the disturbing video are consistent with the description of a shooting given to police by one of those involved in the incident. Ahmad Arbery, 25, was jogging in a neighbourhood outside Brunswick on the 20, uh, February 23rd when a former police officer and his son chased him down, authorities said. According to the Glynn County Police report, Gregory McMichael later told officers that he thought Arbery looked like a person suspected in a series of recent break-ins in the area. After they chased down Arbery, McMichael told police Arbery and McMichael's son Travis struggled over his son's shotgun. McMichael said two shots were fired before Arbery fell to the street. The report said, in a letter to police, George Barnhill, one of the district attorneys who has recused himself from the case and who saw the autopsy report, wrote that Arbery sustained three wounds during the struggle for the gun. Tom Jordan, the district attorney for the Atlantic Judicial Circuit, wrote in a news release obtained by CNN on Tuesday that he expects to present the case to the next available grand jury in Glynn County to consider whether charges are merited for those involved in Arbery's death. Uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic, courts are currently prohibited from empanelling grand juries. Durden did not return um, any calls for comment. Um, I'm just reading on from here. Uh, Arbery's family have said that the son, father and son should be taken into custody pending their indictment. Um, and I think they have been arrested. I'm going to look for the other things. It says here, Georgians deserve answers. And um, the state attorney general, Chris Carr, said he was deeply concerned by the video and the news reports. Uh, Wanda Cooper, Arbery's mother, told CNN on Sunday that when police notified her of her son's death, she was told her son was involved in a burglary and that there was a confrontation between her son and the homeowner and a struggle over a gun. He was not armed, Cooper said. She said she never worried about him jogging because she said he wasn't bothering anyone. The 36-second video, which has been deleted from the radio station's website, was taken by a person in a vehicle that pulls up behind a pickup truck that was stopped in the road. CNN has not um, independently verified who recorded the video. The recording has sound, but yelling in the video is unintelligible. It is not clear what happened immediately before or after the confrontation. The video begins with a man in a white t-shirt jogging down the middle of the street towards a pickup. One man in the bed of the truck and the other is standing near the driver's side door. As the man in the t-shirt approaches, he goes around the pickup on the right side and just as he's passing the front of the vehicle, he makes a left and begins tussling with the man with the shotgun. A shot goes off and the two disappear off the left side of the screen and a man who was running appears to throw a punch. The man standing in the back of the truck takes out a handgun and but doesn't fire. The second shot is heard as the men who are fighting are off screen. As the men come back into view, both are still grabbing the shotgun. The man in the t-shirt appears to throw a right-handed punch at the man's head as a third gunshot is heard. The man who was shot recoils and the blood appears on his t-shirt above his left rib cage. He stumbles and he falls into the middle of the two-lane road. The man with the shotgun walks away as the other man runs towards them with his gun in his right hand. Um... It's just really odd to me that, well, it's not 
it's not odd. We all know why, like, they would have taken um, this long to do anything whatsoever regarding this case. I guess it's just always, it just always blows my mind when things aren't done. Like, America is a wild place, but it's not just America because we know that um, recently um, a black a black man, I think in the UK was tasered by the police in Tottenham and now he's paralyzed, but I'll talk about that shortly as well. But it's mad to me how it took over two months for these men to be arrested because all of these um, people in authority, um, these local authorities and whatever were just like, yeah, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's a black man. It's fine. He was probably a burglar. It's probably a drug dealer. Like, how can you say to his mom that he's dead and he died because he was involved in a burglary? Like, you're a liar. You're a liar and you're rot in hell, you fucking pricks. Like, the guy who just went out for a jog. And this is why... When you say it to people, they don't deep it, yeah? I am not somebody that likes to go jogging, even at nighttime, even in the UK, even as a woman. I don't like it. I just, I don't. Before any mix-up, any mishaps happen, I think that when you inhabit a black body, you have to take certain precautions that other people rarely ever have to think about rarely ever have to think about you're running and you have to make sure it's very very clear that you're running you even have to extra run when police cars go by you so they know that you're running and not doing something else before they're like oh we thought that they were running from the scene of a crime so we had to go and grab them you know it's it's very scary and this black man Ahmad was just out there going for his daily jog minding his business and then two white men, father and son, like, is this what bonds you? What bonds you is your nasty, vicious racism. You take out a gun and you hunt him down and you shoot him. And he's trying to defend himself by because you're hunting him down. And, you know, then there's a, there's a tussle that takes place and he loses his life. For what? For what? And this is the kind of behavior that Trump has allowed. This is the kind of behavior that Trump has emboldened within the white Americans, um, this feeling. And just not just even the white Americans across the world, whether you've got Boris Johnson or whether you've got um, um, my guy in Brazil, that that fool as well. Like wherever you are in the world, like people have been emboldened to feel like you don't have to care about black people's lives. You can do what you want as separate as you think it might be, even with COVID-19. The reason that people want to go back outside now, the reason that you're seeing people doing whatever they like outside now is because they've been told that black people are the ones that are dying at triple the rate in comparison to white people from COVID-19. So suddenly all white people hear is that, oh, well, I don't need to stay inside my house. I can go and do whatever they want, whatever I want, because they don't care about black lives. And then when you now say black lives matter, they'll go, all lives matter. All lives matter. I don't see color. I don't see race. All lives matter. We all lives should matter. All lives should matter, but we know that in this society, there are certain lives that matter to this society more than others. And we're seeing it now because if people were telling you that white people were dying at triple the rate in comparison to black people from COVID-19, you would want every inquiry done. You would want every research done to find out why that is and to stop it dead in its tracks. Whereas it's black people, you turn around, or maybe they had pre-existing conditions. Just because you also have pre-existing conditions, you don't season your food. That's a pre-existing condition, yeah? No, I'm, jokes aside, like you also have pre-existing conditions, but the level of care that you're given greatly differs to the level of care that black people are given. 
And now that they want to now start loosening the restrictions. And I know that they're saying that Monday evening. So by the time you're listening to this, Boris wants to announce announce that we're going to stage three. There's like stage one to five, five being the most severe of the pandemic. And um, we're currently on four. He wants to move the level down to the alert risk down to three. So people should start going about their business and going back to work as much as they can, but to observe social distancing um, measures. I don't know what the fuck that means. But anyway, the reason that he can do this means that the people who are likely to need to go back to work are the marginalized communities. You upper middle class white people, you'll still stay at home because, oh, you'll find a way around it. But you're going to go and subject the marginalized communities. They can get back to working for you and providing the things that you need. They should do that and they should be susceptible to dying from this disease. It's all fucked. It's all absolutely fucked. And I'd also want to say before going back to Ahmad or um, Arbery, that, no, actually I'll come back. Let me stick to Ahmad Arbery because my mind is still absolutely blown. Yeah. Just jogging. You can't breathe while black because you can't do anything while black because there's some white person there going, you shouldn't be doing that because ultimately they just don't want black people to be around. And this is why it gets me when people go, why is your podcast always talking about racism? Why isn't yours? Why isn't yours? Because it's in everything. It, it, it absolutely permeates everything. And yes, there are different subjects that we can have for different podcasts, but we can't ignore the, the, the racism that is evident in this society because everything was built upon it. To up, everything was built upon it. And until all of that is scrapped and the foundation ripped up, then I don't know what we'll be doing. So... You now accuse him of burglary because it's easy to criminalize blackness and to vilify blackness. Like you look at Stephen Lawrence. When Stephen Lawrence was savagely, savagely murdered by those racists, police and media, everyone tried to turn it to, yeah, but maybe he was involved in this. And they tried to do a smear campaign on his family to justify how he was killed for no fucking reason other than being black. For years, they tried it for years you know, sending um, police officers and things and undercover people to go and infiltrate the meetings to find out what was being spoken about. People were bugging the the Lawrence family phones. Like so much was being done as a way to almost blame them and shame them for the death of their son. And this is what we're finding here. And this is why so many of those authority figures in Georgia had to recuse themselves and remove themselves from the case because they were biased and their bias was very, very clear in this, in, in this situation. Had it not made it onto social media and people louded it up that something needed to be done, then nothing would be done. And these men would have com- continued, what, two months, two months before you arrested them. Any evidence that could have even been probable or possible, surely they would have gotten rid of it. We've got the video, fine. But also um, in regard to that video, fuck all of you lot that like to share videos of black people being killed online. I don't need it. You don't need to send me it to raise my awareness. You don't need to send me black people being mutilated and violated to raise my awareness. My awareness is already raised. Why? Because I'm black. I know, I know that this happens. I know that this happens. And no matter how much I speak of it, when you're in your white skin, you don't hear it, but then you see the video and you want to send it over like, oh my God, this is what happened. Or you want to retweet it to share it or to, to spread awareness. No, what you're doing there is something else that's more, that's much, much deeper. 
there is an enjoyment you get from seeing black bodies being treated in this way because you've been desensitized to seeing black bodies as even human, to seeing black people as even human. You've been so desensitized to it that you can share that. Ask me the last time that you shared a video of a white person, a white man being gunned down in the street, that you went and shared that all around the place. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. You only save it for black bodies and black people because you don't see the bodies that black people inhabit as, 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 as worthy of empathy, as, as worthy of just humanity. So we don't need to be sharing these videos and you have to ask yourself as non-black people, especially as white people, why you need to see the video for you to feel some type of way. And even then you'll still be arguing with, oh, well, I don't know what he did before that, before the camera went on. And I don't know what he did after the camera went on. So I can't say anything and we've got to wait for it to get to the judges because I can't, we can't say anything, you know, any excuse, any mental gymnastics you will do to get around the fact that, you know what, some people are just very, very racist. A lot of people um, operate with this racism anyway, but some people are just very, very happy to put it out there, put it out there and take lives. To them, come on, it's Georgia. It's Georgia. Them man miss a lynching. They miss lynching black people. They miss all of that stuff, you know? And so all of these things are still happening and you don't need to compare it to Emmett Till. Or oh, the reason we're sharing it is because of like things that happened in history to Emmett Till. Emmett Till, the woman that lied and said that Emmett Till did whatever he did to her. She's still, she was still out here in these streets now writing a memoir about, okay, I kind of lied about that, but you know, let's look past it. Now she needs to be in jail. As far as I'm concerned, she needs to be in jail. And the men who kill everyone to jail. So, it's just deeply upsetting that if celebrities and all of these people didn't get involved, what would be happening? And again, I, everything becomes convoluted when we start seeing the virtual um, virtue signaling that, you know, uh, people like Ellen and all of these white celebrities and all of these white people start doing like, oh my God, this is so sad. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. This is so horrendous. Okay. But do you know that racism is a spectrum? Do you know that even in your daily lives, you're still perpetuating uh, uh, racism on that scale, on a scale, you know, on one end is this black man being killed, Ahmaud Arbery being killed. And on the other end is your micro and macro aggressions that you perpetuate towards black people in your daily life. You haven't even addressed that, but you're talking about the grander issues. And it's easy for you to talk about the grander issues. It's easier for you to talk about the things that are happening, I don't know, all the way in America or happening all the way over there, um, out of your class or whatever. You can do all of those things, but when it's time for you to see the things that you're doing yourself, you can't see it. You don't know it. You 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 really don't see those things either. So a massive straw to the um to the Georgia authorities that even let it get to this far. And fuck that father and son. I really, really hope that hellfire just comes out of the ground, out of nowhere and consumes them because it's absolutely vile what's going on. Oh, we were following him because um of some um reports of burglaries in the area. God will punish you, you fucking liars. You absolute fucking liars. God will punish you. What burglaries? Actually, they said that there was only one burglary, rep burglary reported in that month. And they love to use that. That's a dog whistle terminology. We chased him because he looked like somebody that did a, a burglary in the area because that's all black people do. When they're not eating chicken, they're burglarizing. Fuck all of you lot, man. Fuck you. Absolutely fuck you. And you can go suck your mothers, your decrepit mothers. Go and suck them, you pricks. So that I needed to get off my chest and, you know, obviously rest, I want to say rest in peace, Ahmad Arbery, but you shouldn't even be 
resting right now. You should be living your life. You should be going for your runs. You should be, you should be living life fully to have life just snatched just because you're in, you, you inhabit black skin. You're a black person to just have your life snatched. That is wild to me. Absolutely wild to me. Um, who knows what will happen with the case, but I'll definitely keep up to date with it. Anyway, now, um, onto my final straw of the week. Oh, would you police again? Really? Really? And, uh, but going back to that, um, Ahmad Arbery case as well, the father was, um, the, the, the guy that the, the absolute demon that shot him, the father said that they said that he was a retired, um, police officer. So it just goes to show you like, why is it so many racists want to be police officers, especially in America? Why so? Why? Because they want to do this. So you're not even on duty. So even if there was, um, um, a burglary or a series of burglaries, you're retired. Nobody asked you to be doing fucking citizens arrest. And that's especially not how you do it anyway. So I'm glad that they've been arrested and I hope something's done of it. I just wanted to get that off my chest while it's still on my mind. But moving on to um, other police incidents and this time in the UK, because the UK is not um, immune to any of this stuff, because in fact, the UK is the mother of all of this stuff that's now taking place across the pond. It says here, police watchdog <laughs> investigates London stun gun shooting. Um, concerns raised about disproportionate use of force after young black man is seriously injured. The police watchdog has launched an, launched an investigation into the conduct of three officers after a black man in his 20s was left with life-changing injuries um, in an incident in North London where he was shot with a stun gun. Police on patrol in Haringey chased the man on Monday after he ran away from them following an approach. It is understood that they used the stun gun as he jumped over a wall and he fell, suffering serious back injuries, and now he's paralysed which his family um, fear could leave him at least partially paralyzed. And he is the man whose family has, um, have since been in contact with the independent office for police conduct, the IOPC, who I've personally found are very, very useless, but whatever, um, was arrested for possession of cannabis with intent to supply and taken to hospital. They love that one arrested for possession of cannabis with intent to supply. Meanwhile, who are they supplying to? Is it not your Millicent's and your Penelope's and your Tarquin's and your Rupert's? Yeah, because when Tarquin and Rupert are walking down the street smoking a spliff, even if you find Tarquin and Rupert with a bag of weed, you all, you tell them, give them a little slap on the wrist, off they go. Oh, you're going to have a wild night then. <laughs> they go. But now, basically, a young black man has been left paralyzed all for the sake of you wanted to grab him for cannabis. Really? Really? And I've said this before, the criminalization of people, black people, who um, are in possession of cannabis. But when it's white people, oh, it's cool, it was trendy. They'll even drop jokes in when they're making their little TV series and them things there. It's it's unfair. It's unjust. Yeah, it's that is simply it. Um, they go on to say, this is an extremely serious incident where we understand a man has suffered life-changing injuries, um, said IOPC, Regional Director Sal Nassim. We are in contact with his family and will keep them informed as we carry out our in independent investigation. Independent is such a funny word to me because I don't see, from my interactions with the IOPC, I don't see any independence there when, you're, when it's pretty much made up of ex-police officers. How can they, you're not going to go against what you, the, 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 the incident 
institution that you've been part of and the system you've been part of for so long. Like even when things are glaringly unjust, you will still try to dance your way around it. That's from my personal experience. So I personally don't trust it, but we'll see. It says here, our role is to seek answers about what happened and share any learning highlighted by our investigations. Our investigation will look at all the circumstances and consider whether there are any conduct or criminal matters. But they all say that the police were within their rights to use the stun gun and it wasn't their fault that um, um, the young black man decided to jump on the wall. They'll find a way around it, not understanding that if it was a white boy, different care would have been taken in that situation. And they'll now say that that's hypothetical. But you could call it as hypothetical as you want, but we know that to be the reality. We know it to be so. Um... Yeah, so I just saw that and it just annoyed me. But it says here, um, Katrina French, chief executive of Stopwatch, a coalition that promotes fair and accountable policing, said that there was concern about the ongoing disproportionate and unnecessary use of force against black males. This type of policing is not only dangerous for the individuals involved, but also obliterates people's trust and confidence in an emergency service. We demand that officers be held to account and disciplined. There must be robust mechanisms put in place to ensure that national guidelines are adhered to, especially as tasers can be lethal. Um, you know, I don't know what more um, there is to say Even when they're saying all police officers are fully aware That they will be asked to account for their actions Officers are not exempt from the law And we should not wish to be You're liars because you are exempt from the, from the law Even when there's video footage showing you moving mad The judge will always vote in your favour Because it's about upholding this system That you all love so much That punishes black people disproportionately I, um, whatever. Um, and then it says that, um, after that, a man in Manchester was shot with a stun gun by police at point blank range in front of his young child, seemingly without warning or justification and growing concerns about their use as weapons of first resort, particularly against BAME people. I fucking hate that BAME term, but, um, yeah, there you go again. And I was seeing that on Akala's page, people were posting to him going, yeah, but that man in Manchester did this and he was, um, you know, um, didn't, was resisting arrest and he was doing this so, so, because when white people resist arrest, they are still apprehended alive. So that is simply the point. I, I should be able to move as mad as I want to. If other people can move as mad as they want to and be taken in alive, then that should also be available to me too. Why are people dying um, or being or um, being left with really mad injuries just because they're not white? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely fucked. It's absolutely fucked. fucked. And this isn't a criminal justice system. There is no justice. And the criminals aren't the ones that they're putting in jail. That's all I know. That's all I've got to say about that, okay? And um, so my straw goes to the those motherfuckers in Georgia, um, the authorities and the men that shot Ahmad Arbery. And um, also my straw goes to the police that don't want to use, you know, reasonable force. Well, reasonable is relative. Um, but they're using disproportionate force against black people in the UK. All of you can go fuck yourselves. All of you can go suck your mums. Boris Johnson can suck his mum as well because... I kept stressing to you, man, 
there were no airport measures in place. They're telling you to stay home, save lives. They're chatting shit because they're not even checking people who are coming in from the airports. And it's only now that they're saying that people who come in through UK airports are going to have to do a mandatory two weeks in quarantine. Why the fuck weren't you doing that before? This is the question that I was asking on Twitter and people were like, oh, it's because they're bringing people back, British people that were living in other countries. That's why the airports are still open. Okay, that's why the airports are still open, but why is nobody checking these people? Yeah, and then I'm seeing that Channel 4 discovered that the PPE stockpile that the government even got, all of the stockpile, the ventilators and them things there are out of date. Look at your government. Look at your government's life. They're, they're useless, absolutely useless. And that is not to make you feel... um hopeless that is to let you know that you have to call the shots for yourself you have to empower yourself because the people that you're looking to govern you are mad people they're mad people who fuck pigs don't listen to them they're useless yeah look at look at all of the things as individual things look at all of the incidents as individual incidents and draw your own conclusion and the conclusion will be that they're mad yeah, because you're telling people to stay home, save lives. Meanwhile, people can come in willy-nilly from the airport and go in and out and nobody's checking them to see if they've got the virus, see if anything. And it's only now after the fact that you want to do two weeks mandatory quarantine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But anyway, that's all I wanted to say. I'm sure I've missed something out that I'll have to freaking cover next week. And Lev's fucking tired of all of this stuff as well. He wants to have a booby. So anyway, thank you for listening. I have been Kalechi Okafor and this has been SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What. That's right, suck your mum. Send me your letters to sym at kalechiokafor.com. That's sym at kalechiokafor.com. Uh, you can follow me on at Kalechnikov at Say Your Mind Pod. Remember to hashtag Say Your Mind Pod. I'm loving all the tweets that I'm seeing from you all and all the Instagram videos when you're listening and your reactions. I hope the things I've shared with you this week resonate. I hope the tarot resonates. And just remember to be present, be in your body. The now is all that we have. This now, right now, is all that we have. Peace. It's the Ben's Punani woman is baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this. Baby, sit down, sit down, receive this realness. Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are go sippy, yo. Hard time scrolling for your long shorts. You might learn something you never know. Collect you find, and she's one of a kind. Don't say you mind, say you mind.